Welcome to episode 16 of Shebrews Hebrews, a Jewish fermenting podcast where we hope to discuss all things homebrewing and fermenting. Today we're talking about old man liquors. I'm your host, Evan Harris, and with me today is my co-host, Allison Shea. Hey there, how you doing? I'm doing quite well. Yourself? I'm good. Uh, how was your New Year's? It was nice. Just hung out with my roommate and, and a handful of friends, drank a ton of champagne, as discussed in our previous episode. <laughs> yeah, it was nice. I made a delicious but not fermented cheesy bread. Oh, that I mean, that is on uh, our list of things to make. We didn't end up making it. And I think I was in bed by before. Or I, was, I wasn't in bed. I was asleep before midnight New York time. <laughs> Are you sure you're not one of the old men? In the old Sometimes I feel like that, but I had also been up since 5 a.m. that day. Fair enough. Anyways, this recipe in question is... I I first found it because a YouTuber that I like to watch, Emmy Made, or Emmy Made in Japan, made this cheesy... It's a flatbread, essentially, stuffed with cheese and mashed potatoes, and it is delicious. would strongly recommend. Yeah. We'll, we'll we'll see if we can convince uh, my sister's fiance to actually cook something and make it, aside from nachos. Yeah, which sounds delicious. They have been. Yeah, I don't know if we mentioned it previously, but congratulations to Evan's sister and her fiance on their engagement. It's very exciting. They, they got engaged a few weeks ago, and actually, he taught us a New Year's tradition from Mexico. Ooh. It is traditional to eat twelve grapes at dinner. Huh. Like grapes the, are delicious. Like, they, they are, but 12 grapes and wish on each one like you would on birthday candles. One huh. wish for each month. Huh. That's sweet. I like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we got, a, we got a couple of beverages to talk about today that contain grape, but we got some other weirder things that today's beverages are going to be made out of as well. That's right. We're, tonight we're talking about old man liquors. Which I think... And that is the only time you will probably find me singing on this show. <laughs> the thing about these old man liquors, or what, what we kind of think about when we think old man liquors, the things that your grandparents are drinking, the things that you go to synagogue and you see like a small group of old men sitting around drinking, offering to people, um, mm-hmm. is that... I think a lot of it is heavily based off of immigration. And I mean, what we consider these old man liquors are are very much regional drinks that haven't expanded as much. But, you know, there's a sense of nostalgia that an older generation would be thinking about when they when they turn towards these particular drinks, which I think is sweet. And I think that's also one of the really nice things about about trying them is that we're tasting things that are often highly regional, not exclusively. And there is more like they're not. They're found in other places these days, but it's not like uh, drinking something that's much more widespread. It's yeah, they're just not as widespread as some other beverages. And I think that's what makes them so interesting. And I think that's what... um, it makes it kind of so cool to me, at least. I would agree, but you talked about immigration. The shul I grew up going to, that group of old men who, when at Kiddush, bottle they'd be around when, was normally tequila, 
which is normally seen as a very young person drink in this country. But I grew up in a city with a large Hispanic population, and that included in the Jewish population. So I used to go to Shul with a friend of mine when I lived in Hollywood. Well, I mean, I don't live there anymore. <laughs> the Shul in question that I used to visit with my friend was B'nai Svartim, which mm-hmm. is a, as you can guess, a Svartic Shul in Florida. And the drink of choice, the old man liquor of choice, there was Arak, which is also very popular among Mizrahi communities. And when I mentioned it to my sister, one of my sisters, who's been mentioned before, she's the vegan that I learned how to brew polke and maple wine for. She goes, oh, Arak's not an old man drink here in Israel. Arak is like the drink of choice in clubs it's super popular it's a club drink there uh, i was gonna say like i not like i'm familiar with our and it's great equivalent to uzo but like even when i've been in israel i've never i don't club at all even in <laughs> israel but pretty much anyone who's been on birthright has tried Arak that i've yeah. uh, talked to yeah and Arak is anise flavored mm-hmm. um yeah, I don't know what, how much there is to say about it. It's basically is a clear liquor um, flavored with anise. Yeah, that's it. If you like anise, you like Arak. I would say it's a pure flavor and maybe less shocking than drinking absinthe. Absinthe usually has yeah. other things going on. In absinthe has a lot of other too. a lot of other flavors, including wormwood. It's basically the same as ouzo, to be honest. I love both, so it's just, it's just one is the more Levant production, the other is Greek. Yeah, and the base is traditionally also grapes. Great base liquors showing yeah. up again. Yeah, exactly, and one of the. Uh, interesting things for anybody who hasn't done it. If you add water to any of these, they actually turn opaque. Huh. It's really pretty. pretty. Cool. It happens with absinthe as well. I have never tried that, but if I have absinthe again, I'll have to try that. Well, I've got a bottle of it here. <laughs> Perfect. You're, you, as I've said, you you should come visit. Yeah. Speaking of... Well... Speaking of things turning opaque in surprising ways, I guess this is an interlude, which is something I guess we have many of on this yep. show. Someday mm-hmm. we'll get around to posting that, <laughs> that tangents, tangents episode. episode or four. But I just finished, I recently bottled my batch of pulque. Had I done that before? I think you just episode? bottled it. Okay. Well... The more it sits, and it's only been sitting for a couple weeks at this point, but the more it sits, the more it tastes like, kind of like a wine if it were made out of the wrong kind of grape. But mm-hmm. it's it's like, it's I, I quite like it. But the interesting thing and why, why I was opaque brought it to mind was that at one point in the brewing, it was a milky color. And mm-hmm. the original type of of pulque the kinds that you would find in parts of mexico does apparently look like milk interesting yeah i think is really cool i as do i yeah um that is not what i was just said that is not the thing that i'm probably going to have my sister's fiance bring back unless i can because i was telling you about it the the cream mezcal liqueur 
Oh yeah. Oh my god, that sounds delicious. Well, uh, it is. It is. What my pulque looks like right now um, is, frankly, if you put it in a glass, it would be a dead ringer visually for some slip of it, which is exactly. kind of a pale yellow color. It's which is what I'm drinking tonight. Yeah, I'm gonna take a teeny bit of it. What I have here, it, it's a Bistress Livovitz. I cannot read the Cyrillic on this label, but it is Serbian plum brandy. And if you're an Ashkenazi Jew, when you think old man liquor, this is top of the list. Yeah. If you've got if you've got older parents, not even older necessarily. <laughs> if you've got parents o- older than maybe forty, I'm sure they're very accustomed to this stuff. Every People our age, I think, aren't super accustomed to it, but every person who's, you know, slightly older than us seems mm-hmm. to have some sort of familiarity with us, with it. It's it's a very classic Ashkenazi alcoholic beverage to be yeah. drinking. Absolutely. Have I told you my sort of background story with Slivovitz? No. So my mom's father died when she was in high school, so I never met him. Uh, but... She would occasionally talk about how, especially during Passover, and you'll see Slivovitz around, especially during Passover, because it's kosher for Passover. Oh, uh, most of them. Is your glass leaking? No. The the outside is peeling off. Oh, that's not fun. It's got, like, printing on the outside, so I guess this is now going to be a hand-wash-only shot glass. Yep. Well, um, that sucks. Yeah, sorry. Oh, um, whoa. You Canadian now? I've said sorry since I went to Michigan. It's north of Canada. All right. Minnesotans say sorry as well. Fair enough. But you're from Texas, so... I grew up in Texas, unfortunately. Okay. Wait. Flavor notes on this little bit. Mm-hmm. When something's 100 proof, it's a little bit hard to give flavor notes. Yeah. I mean, it tastes like harsh plum to me. But I love love plums. Yeah. It is clearly hard liquor. Again, it's a hundred proof. Where yep. the bottle actually says fifty percent alcohol by volume. By law, oh. it has to say both. Um, it's supposed to, whether it does or not. This stuff is from Serbia. Okay, so it does a, not American say produced proof. bottles have to say both. Yeah, this one does not say. But anyways, yeah, it it basically tastes like a. Plummy hard liquor. I, that's, yeah. I don't think there's much else to say on that. I I don't I am not doing this right now, but I do think it's a little better on the rocks. Mm-hmm. It's. I think it's a great substitute if you're not a fan of gin. I think it is a great substitute for gin and gin drinks, especially yeah. fruitier drinks. I'm not a particular fan of gin, um, and yeah, yeah, I would agree. This is this is. I, I like gin, but I will still do like a Slivovitz martini. Yeah. I'm um, eh on gym. Yeah. What um, I really don't like is tonic water. <laughs> really? I do not like tonic water. Interesting. Yeah. Um, that quinine, though. Yeah. Uh, but what what is saying with the um, the story about my about how I got introduced to Slivitz? But my mom would so my mom would talk about how at Pesach, her dad would would always buy Slivitz and bring it to shul to drink with her with he's with his siblings because all of them lived in Pittsburgh and, and bring it for Kiddush at, at, um, 
at Passover. And but she'd never seen it after like afterwards. And I was in Prague, capital of the Czech Republic, which now goes by a different name, and I can't pronounce that one, so I'm just gonna say Prague. Wait, Prague goes by a No, the name? country goes by a different name. <laughs> Czechia or something like that. I couldn't pronounce it either. Yeah, exactly. So Prague, which is the capital of the country. <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure Prague is still Prague, though. To my knowledge, Prague is still Prague. Yeah. And I saw a bottle of Slivovitz in the window, in a window of just a convenience store. I said, okay, I'll go buy some. So I bought two small convenience store bottles. One for me, one for my grandmother. And my grand, which she didn't bring it at Passover, but my grandmother brought it to Kiddush at Shul, uh, where my grandfather's living siblings and like my mom's generation all tried it. And I, tr- and I had my own bottle, which I tried and I loved it. And then I said, Oh, I've got to try and find it. And my local liquor store had two different varieties <laughs> and I've almost always had a bottle since. Nice. Yeah. It because- is something that you can find in a couple of different, like whiskey. How long it's yeah. been aged is is pretty mm-hmm. much the varieties. Yeah. Well, that's sweet. Yeah. And I mean, okay. I love it. I've been carrying it and I have carry a flask at least occasionally while I'm skiing. The, this flask lasts about two weeks. So it's not like I'm drinking it <laughs> rapidly, which also feels like an old man thing to have a flask. Oh, yeah. Um, and so it's been filled with Slivovitz um, for the last month. Nice. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Old man yep. liquor. Would yeah. you like to know some of the things about Slivovitz? Because sure. there's a lot of, I mean, so. And us with some is, fun facts. Yeah, some fun facts. Effectively, it, as I said, it's more common during Passover, especially among Ashkenazi families, because Eastern Europe, parts of what were at some point the Russian Empire and the Pale of Set, or the Polish Lithuanian Commonwealth, and became the Pale of Settlement, which actually only started in the 1790s when. Russia took over the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth under Catherine the Great. Just a clarification: the um, for for those who are unfamiliar with it, the Pale of Settlement is an area that a lot of Eastern European Jews were kind of forced to move into. Encompasses a section of Russia, Poland, Lithuania, essentially. Mm-hmm. So, actually, forced to move into is a little bit of a misnomer. I mean, they weren't physically pushed, but but I no, mean, because in, or I believe it was 1792. It was post-American Revolution. I know that when the most of Jews in Eastern Europe lived in what is what was called the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth, which I believe I've referred to here, and no Jews yeah. were allowed to live in Russia. Russia took over the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth by military force, unsurprisingly. And then had a bunch of Jews to do. And so basically they said, you can't move out of where you were living. I thought it was a well, I thought it was a little more of a, you have massive res- restrictions. So yes, they put but incredibly massive restrictions, course. even in that area. Whereas beforehand, Jews effectively had full, Jews, not effectively, Jews had full citizenship in the Polish Lithuanian Commonwealth, but they did not have. Full citizenship of Russia, they had slightly more, less restrictions where they were living compared to trying to move east of the Urals. Well, so but that gotta love yes. Jewish history. Yeah, there's a great YouTuber who one. covers a lot of Jewish history, including this named Sam Arano. Nice. I have not heard of them. I, I will link. 
I'll link some of his videos in the show notes and send you send it to you as well. Cool. Because I really nice. like his stuff. And he starts basically from the creation of Judaism, taking a historical perspective. And right now he's working. He's gone up to actually his last video was the Pale Settlement. So cool. And eighteen hundred basically. I should check that out. Mm-hmm. But so Slivovitz, the name actually comes basically from the uh, the Proto-Slavic for plum and ice. Huh. Yeah. Well, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> that just makes a lot of sense. I don't know what else there is there. Yeah. Uh, so, but it, Slivovitz is actually a generic name according to the European Union, but is a protected or it is a PDO, protected designation of origin. Oh, it has to be Serbian. So it doesn't have to be Serbian. It has to. It, there is a limited number of countries in Eastern Europe. It has to come from. Okay. Including which... Czech, including formerly formerly Czech Republic, Croatia, Serbia, Hungary, and Belarus. Cool. Or not? Sorry, not Belarus. Bul- Bulgaria. Okay. So mine just oh. happens to be Serbian. Yes, mo- most of what I've seen in this country is either Czech or Serbian. Cool. Uh, and um, I don't have a preference for either. But also, according to the EU law, the only other major stipulation is only damson plums. So if you want to do your own brewed one, make sure to get the right plum. Yeah. I have not found the right plum. I was at one point... I was at one point thinking of trying to make something that was... Slivovitz-esque. Um, and I could not find the right type of plum. Interesting. I've not I don't know if I've seen this type specifically in America, but I'm gonna look for it next time plums are in season. Yeah, I was looking for just like ordering plum juice or ordering plums, mm-hmm. ordering plum concentrate. I found red plum concentrate. Ooh, sounds good. Which I do still want to try. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's not it's not gonna be Slivovitz esque. The pulque no. you can see like tasting it, you can see how it's vaguely reminiscent of a of a much less concentrated tequila. Mm-hmm. But I don't think I would get the same effect with Slivovitz because plums I feel like a lot of plums have a lot of variety in flavor. There's I've I think I've mentioned Marion Burroughs' plum tort recipe before. Yes. But like those plums taste very different than eating plums. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a it's a wide variety. So also reminder, like, distilling mm-hmm. is illegal in the United States. So we do not condone anybody attempting to actually Bruce Levitz. Correct. Unless you are your own distiller. We hope to have a distiller on soon. This is technically part of our distillation series. So we're hoping to have some interviews lined up soon. But uh, distillation at home is illegal in the United States. If I don't think we've had any downloads from New Zealand, uh, but it is legal there. It is slightly easier to get your own license in the United Kingdom than it is in America. And I do think we've had some downloads from there. I don't think we've Very had cool. any. I have no idea about anybody who's downloading from France or Germany or the Netherlands or who's using VPNs to look like they're going from those places. But we thank all of you for listening. Yeah. Hi, shout out to you guys. <laughs> yes, 
Uh, speaking of the Netherlands, actually, there's one that I didn't add, but I've mentioned. I know I've mentioned to you before that also even there is considered an old man liquor. No Jewish connection, really, aside from the fact that the Netherlands used to have a thriving Jewish population called Yenever, which is a mix between gin and whiskey. So it's not something you would really like, but it's something I enjoy. I should ask my roommate about that. Well, I've asked her on one of the. I mentioned it with one of the last oh, uh, virtual trivia nights. Oh, sweet. She had no idea what it was. Yeah. That that sounds about right. I mean, she admittedly did leave the Netherlands when she was five. Exactly. <laughs> so I I think that's a that's a safe assumption than if it isn't a snack. Which yeah. she does know quite a bit about Dutch snacks. There are a lot of very good Dutch snacks. Oh yeah. Oh my god. Chocolate hoggle, stroop waffles. Oh. oh my god. Oh, I had a stroop waffle earlier. We've got a and no, she ate the entire package. <laughs> I almost always have I almost always have some on hand because it's exactly the right number of carbs if I go low. Oh perfect. Uh, Good which I did. Have. So I had so I'll I'll text you a photo also of where I was eating it from the top of the mountain <laughs> because it was very pretty. Ooh, very nice. Um but so okay. the next one that I do have on our list, unless you've got any more comments on Slivovitz. Nope. Other than that, you can actually find it at a lot of liquor stores. Evan mentioned it before that he found it at his local liquor store. I found it not at my local liquor store exactly, but I hopped over the border to South Carolina and was able to find it at, at, at very, very easily. Um, I mean, I found this bottle in Utah. It's not as long as you're going to a reasonably sized liquor store, they should be familiar with it. Exactly. So the next one that I feel like is a very old man liquor, again, not a huge Jewish connection, but is grappa. I have never had grappa. Have you I ever have. tried it? Yeah. Uh, there's, I've tried it at a restaurant called grappa, in fact. Huh. Well, I do know that like, like Slivovitz is, is a plum brandy. I believe grappa is a type of grape brandy. It is a type of grape brandy, but it is not made no, uh, with traditional grapes. Well, it is made with traditional grapes, but not the normal part. You press the grapes first for wine and brandy, and then you take the the leftover uh, pumice, as it's referred, and press that ag- and just collect all of it and press it again and use those juices to make grappa. So, including some of the, so you get a lot more woody notes because you frequently have actual twig. Probably. Tannic. You get a lot of tannic notes uh, and more acid from crushing the seeds as well. I think tannins is something we should we should maybe do a little more discussion of. I think that that kind of deserves maybe even its own episode. Um, that but, I've, there's something we can mix that we can uh, work that into. But yeah, we should talk more about tannins. Yeah. Uh, quick note: tannins are chemicals that can be found in in a lot of red wines uh, in the specifically the skins of red wines so some grapes will be very tannic some and as a result some wines will be very tannic not everybody has the ability to taste tannins i didn't Um, know that yeah some people just straight up don't have the ability to taste tannins which is why some people have very strong and divisive opinions on red wine which I think is fascinating. I, it's kind of like, I don't know if I've mentioned this previously, but I cannot, or not cannot, I taste soap when I eat cilantro. This is a genetic thing. Some people react very strongly to some olfactory chemicals 
in in cilantro that are similar to those in soap. Some people find it pleasant and some people don't, even though it's very soapy. Like I do not want to eat the stuff. But some people, even though it tastes soapy to them, still like the stuff. And I think with tannins, it's it's very much the same. Or my understanding is that it's the same. It sounds like it. I'm just surprised and I heard that for mo at least for me, tannin is frequently the it, it, I mean, it's a, it's its own flavor, but it also dries your palate. Yeah. So why a lot of red wines make your palate dry is because of the tannic content. Yeah. So, yeah, and it's, it's a divisive flavor. So yeah. if you are a person who really hates red wine, I would say you probably don't want grappa <laughs> probably not but there, it's not as tannic in, in my experience but it is more tannic than most liqueurs but there are effectively three requirements for grappa for grappa because it is also a, a pdo in the european union it has to be produced in italy the italian part of switzerland or san marino so basically northern italy I think San Marino might have a problem with you referring to it as Northern Italy. <laughs> it is. Well, they can come at me with the worst football team in the world. The San Marino international football team is the worst in FIFA rankings. Huh. I did not know that. But also, I don't follow any sports except hockey. I mean, I don't follow San Marino international football, but there's another fun YouTuber who you probably would enjoy who has a weird obsession with them. Okay. It's he's called the Tim Traveler. He finds interesting historical travel things. Is his name Tim? His name is Tim. I'm very good at this guessing game. <laughs> um Yes. But number another sports item that I would recommend uh mm -hmm. people check out that is also amusing. The Norwegian curling team's pants. Oh, they always are good. And the Winter Olympics are coming up in a month. A month from, yes. from a month from recording. Yes, and I would just like to remind everybody, I'm not going to spoil the surprise. Have a Google. You will not, like, it will not disappoint you. Have a Google and take a look at the Norwe Norwegian, Norwegian curling, curling team. teams. Norwegian men's curling team pants. Yes. Because they are fantastic. Every time. I mean, Every other, time. I remember them first going viral in like 2010. Yeah. Which would I think have been it was the Vancouver 2010. Olympics. I'm pretty um, sure it was Vancouver. Yeah. yeah. So, but every but in the years since, other teams have tried to step up, but no one matches the, the Nor no. Norway. It's just fun. Curling, by the way, if you get the chance to do it, is a wonderfully fun sport, though half of it is in its use to drink. Yes. I'm a big fan of curling, too. Um, oh, I, I got to do it in grad school. Same. Well, what, 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 <laughs> a bunch of engineering grad students well, uh, and math grad students. Yeah, one one of our program directors, the staff, so he wasn't wasn't professor, but he's a big big into curling, and every year organized a curling event for the free for the anyone who wanted to come in the department. And I went both times, and it was wonderful. Nice. Yeah, we had a curling club uh, for graduate, and I think undergrads were allowed. I did drag some undergrads with me. Um, but I just had a Northwestern curling club and there were well, people there who had grown Minnesota up. Minnesota had one as well, but, and I, I have a good friend uh, who's, who I know occasionally listens. Hi, Dan. Uh, who, uh, uh, well, I should say which, but there are two of them. Only one of them curls. Yeah. The other um, one straightens. What? 
<laughs> no, no, the 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 other works with uh, um, how I'm trying to remember what his thesis is in. Uh, Lagrange point path optimization, I believe. So he does. He is a he is a natural nice. rocket scientist. Okay, very cool. Yes, I'm not friends with any brain surgeons yet. Uh, rocket scientists have got. Yeah, I mean, anybody our age who's planning to be uh, our age who's going to be a brain surgeon still got several more years of residency. Yeah. I mean. Just a few. Yeah, let's see. You finish med school at 25, say, seven yeah, years. 25 or 26. Neurosurgery um, residency is, I yeah, think, seven years. You're going to do both residents. Uh, I think it might be five, but you're doing a fellowship. So you, it's seven years at least. I think it's seven years just for neurosurgery plus because a standard, I, I mean, yeah, a standard surgery residency is is five years and then it's extra time for so, neurosurgery. So yeah, neuro, neurosurgery seven and a fellowship would be another one or two. Yeah. So... so <laughs> Nobody our age is a neurosurgeon. They don't exist. You're going to no, need at I, least a couple more years before they can be a neurosurgeon. That is true. Though, but I don't know why that reminded me. to drink Slivovitz. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. back, back to the, the other topic, though, with that tangent that was definitely not cut right there, right? Definitely not. We're keeping that, all of it, every word. Every single word. But can any... What? I, what were we... Up to the 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 requirements for something to be grappa, yes, and, and we got on the football tangent. Whoops, and the sporting tangent that's probably still in this episode because check out the Olympics on NBC. A <laughs> um, uh, fun fact about NBC, which I love, um, mm-hmm. I think I think it's just kind of one of those fun things about. Um, about how technology evolves and people seeing things as technology evolves. But my mom grew up with a black and white TV. And she learned when she was a late teenager, the NBC Peacock was in rainbow because she babysat somebody with a color TV. And I just think it's so cool that like as, you know, people... People acquire, I think I think it's much faster these days, but people acquire technology at different rates. And, you know, getting to see these things, you know, it's, it's, you see things for the first time. And I think that's really cool. Exactly. There's from forever ago, for whatever it is. That, and, and the Peacock came about specifically for NBC Color Transmission. But there's that SJCD from a while ago about something everybody knows. Still about 10,000 people learn a day. I know. I love that. And specifically, that comic talks about the Mentos and Diet Coke reaction. Which, if you have never heard of it. um, Also big in 2010. Yes. But if you've never heard of Mentos and Diet Coke reaction, I would strongly recommend you grab yourself... A bottle of Diet Coke and some Mentos and... Go outside. Uh, and go outside because <laughs> it's a really cool reaction. It's, yeah, it, it just, it's a cool reaction and it's really fun to watch. And uh, make sure you're not standing too close or you have a, a change of clothes on hand. Yeah. And if you have little kids after you show it to them, there's a lot of incredible science you can teach them about it. Oh, yeah. Like, like there's a lot of mo- things overlapping that are really wonderful. 
But where we were was the European Grappa. requirements for Grappa. So we talked about the uh, parts of Italy, Switzerland, and San Marino. Two is that it has to be made from pom- from the pumice, from pressing grapes. The third one, and this is the one I actually found interesting, fermentation and distillation must occur on the pumice. So you actually have to distill it, like ferment it with all the solids. Not, su- not incredibly surprising. But you then have to distill it with all the solids, which is much less common in most production, most distilled production. But you cannot add any water. Huh. That's interesting. Because water is usually, like, you usually add some water or something. Exactly. So I thought, I just found that to be really neat when I learned that fact about it. Yeah. Uh, But what uh, color is grappa? It is normally clear, occasionally light yellow. Huh. I don't think it is normally aged or aged for very long. It is most grappa is un, is unaged, which but it still has a little bit of color from that, um, from the fruit sometimes. Huh, it's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. It's very popular in parts of South America as well, though it is not incredibly popular in this country. No, well, check my local liquor store. Exactly, it is. It's something I like, but I don't have it often, and not like enough that I feel like I need to go buy a bottle. But if they have mini awesome. bottles, I would try- recommend it. All right. I will take a look. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse Love me. Root. Thank you. Um, uh, what's next on our list? Uh, next ooh, on our schnapps. list. Schnapps. Is schnapps, which is uh, basically just a general category. Yeah. But I think there's schnapps is also one that's just a really fun word to say. And as a result, there's a lot of pop culture references mm-hmm. to schnapps i think uh what kind of schnapps is it that they have in letter Kenny? never seen letter Kenny. oh hang on i'm double checking this but so while, while you're looking that up schnapps is effectively just uh anything is a generalized category that includes fruit brandies herbal ah. liqueurs infusions that include flowers herbs or fruits uh, the schnapps that they drink in Letterkenny is butter ripple schnapps. Basically, Letterkenny is this very, very, very Canadian TV show. That it's now it's on Hulu if you're in the states. But there was a Christmas episode where they have three drinks that they drink on New Year's Eve, and they are butter ripple schnapps, blue curacao, and creme de menthe. And those are the only things that they let anybody drink at their Christmas party before midnight. I have those three. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just kind of a, a fun thing to say. And it's got such a wide variety of beverages that I don't know. Yeah. So it's, it's cool. Schnapps. I feel like there's a, Where's the peppermint? I mean, I have peppermint. I have a very good There's peppermint a... schnapps in my fr- in my freezer from Minnesota. I feel like there's a peppermint schnapps uh, pop culture reference that I'm forgetting. But uh, there's Archer and his peppermint patties. No, I don't know. Anyways, back to what we were saying before. Before the lightsaber noises happened mm-hmm. on the TV show Letterkenny, they drink. Butter ripple schnapps, blue curacao, and creme de menthe. 
on New Year's Eve. They're nice festive co colors. Schnapps can come in a variety of colors sometimes. But it's just a really wide variety of flavor. Great additives for cocktails if you want a particular flavor. Yeah. yeah. I don't I don't know if it's necessarily an old man thing so much as it is there's such a wide variety of flavors that people have favorites that they cling to. Yeah. I feel like schnapps by itself is it feels like it's more an old man thing but the whole old man liquor thing is mostly just a reason to talk about fun stuff yeah if you haven't determined already everyone listening semi-obscure drinks yeah we've talked about more obscure though oh uh, yeah yeah we've had some weird ones yeah but so one <laughs> of the fun the things who made uh who brewed a oh. aztec beverage in her closet well we've got something else you might want to brew now, later in the show notes uh, you want to brew that. Yes, I want to brew it. It sounds I think really I good. overdid it with my last ginger batch. Fair. But so one of the things I found interesting about schnapps, and I've made garlic schnapps, by the way. I think I've told that story before. No? What? Really? So this was for a friend's 21st birthday. He was the summer before doing research in Germany. And this was during the World Cup, where Germany won. And he agreed to take a shot of whatever... Uh, every, for every gold Germany store, figuring it needs to be one, maybe two. It was eight zip. <laughs> and like the seventh or eighth oh was garlic schnapps. Evan, you are a cruel, cruel man. No, I wasn't there. But the, So he, someone from his lab group bought him a shot of garlic schnapps. And he said it made him want pasta. Huh. I mean, that's a uh, reasonable response, I guess. So uh, Pasta is delicious. Yes. So for his 21st birthday, my roommate and I, because he's part of that friend group, made garlic schnapps. It was horrible. <laughs> Opening up the bottle, the entire apartment smelled. I guess you could disgusting. make... Is there any sugar in there? There was no sugar. It was... Okay, good. It, it was like a head of garlic in a bottle of vodka. I was going to say, you could make vodka sauce with that. Yes, you could, which but would be pretty interesting. you don't want to. No. I don't make it. Do not make garlic schnapps. Okay. But one of the things, especially for a schnapps like that, that I found interesting, the term, while researching the episode, the etymology of the term schnapps comes from Low German uh, and the word related to the uh, snap. It shares a root because you <laughs> snap back the drink frequently. Uh, right. Um, another item on the list is Amaro, which is kind of an umbrella category, basically. Bitters. Any Italian bitters, I think, would fall under Amaro. Um, Not just Italian, but they're most popular in Italy. Yeah. Campari would be one of these. Campari yeah. would be the most well-known. Frenet Branca would be another big one, especially amongst tipsters. Yeah. But it's oh, I like yeah, it. blanket category. You can find all sorts. Yeah. Um, it, it literally is the Italian word for bitter. But especially especially in Italy, things like drinking fernet is a very old man thing to do. But in Argentina, fernet con cola, which is literally fernet and coke, is a very popular kid's drink. It's the second. Uh, they sell more fernet in Argentina than anywhere else. Huh. That's pretty cool. Campari's, of course, got an a big following thanks to uh, drinks like the Negroni. Yeah, that's uh, that's cool. Yeah, I think it's so interesting I... to hear you say that it's a popular kids' drink because something that 
I've heard about and and was told as a kid is that your palate develops a lot as you get older and mm-hmm. things that you must you might have really hated as a child people may com- completely change their mind about as they get older once they become a preteen and then a teen and so it's important to keep tasting things as you get older because your palate is going to change yeah and uh, f- in general studies have shown that as you get older you develop a larger taste for bitterness yeah so all of this kind of aligns with old men drinking bitters i yeah. guess uh, no exactly but for net for net originally like many of these in all honesty started as a patent medicine yeah. So it was originally marketed as a cure for cholera and menstrual cramps. Well, it's got enough alcohol in it. I mean, yeah, forty percent do the job. But it has a, a very strong menthol flavor. Yeah, which I mean, if it's your thing, then it's your thing. It's not my thing. I don't yeah. like the sensation of cold in my mouth like yeah. that. Anyway, they also make an extra menthol. Fernet, which I've not tried. I like for standard Fernet. Uh, in fact, I like it with tonic water, which you definitely wouldn't like. Nope. <laughs> well, I don't yeah. have any Fernet here, but if you visit, I will definitely not have that ready. <laughs> Thanks. Much appreciated. Um, <laughs> if we Okay, yeah. next time Evan and I see each other in person, I don't know when that's going to be, we are going to have the weirdest beverage exchange <laughs> on the planet. <laughs> Hopefully sometime this year. Yeah. If any, by the way, if anyone else on this podcast is a brewer, let us know if you'd be interested in doing a swap. I think it'd be really fun if, if we got some home brewers on the podcast to swap homemade brews. Yeah. Or even just to talk about what you've made. Yeah. Let us know. Feel free to drop us a comment. Exactly. I have one more thing in the show notes. And this is something I definitely want to make because I realized I've had this before. Yeah. This is ginger wine. Which is apparently used also an older drink in some parts. But also very popular in Scotland around this time of year. I can see why. Well, it's popular during the Scottish holiday of Hogmanay. That one I have not heard of. Also known as New Year's Eve. Okay. Yeah, that one I've heard of. I forgot uh, to mention it in the last episode, so I had to work it in when I saw that. Okay. Um, Thanks. Uh, but I was actually introduced to it in Jamaica. Huh. It's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, the thing mm-hmm. I've learned about fermenting with ginger mm-hmm. is that ginger... Give like there, everybody knows ginger is strong. Ginger is a strong flavor. It will overpower pretty much anything you add, anything else you add, unless unless you're really going hard with the other stuff. Yeah. When I made ginger mead, it was good. Like let's be clear, it was very good, but it was very very gingery. And anybody people who tasted it who weren't into ginger did not like it. And people who like ginger loved it. I thought it was delicious, but even though I love ginger, I could only have it in moderation. So if you do attempt to make something that's very gingery or, or like contains ginger, um, 
I would recommend keeping an eye on it and fishing it out when you've reached your appropriate levels of gingeriness or something to that effect. Yeah, or, or just use it in small quantities because it's that, very strong in a brew. That is uh, something I did not necessarily do right when I included ginger and spices in a cider forever ago. But I'm going to try and follow this recipe. Most of the, or not most, but a lot of the sugar content comes from ra- from raisins, which I found interesting. Very cool. Um, because, I mean, you both, it is, they're grapes, but you also generate a large amount of um, like umami even. Very cool. So I will have to make it at some point. Yeah. Let me know how it is. Um, that I definitely will. Um, but I love, but ginger wine is apparently popular in Scotland, among other places. I will, I didn't I have it while I was in Scotland. I can see how it would be very warming. Yes. In the yeah. cold, wet uh, Scottish winter. Yeah. I find that beverages like that, there are, I mean, people know, oh, you have red wine at room temperature, white wines, a lot of the time you'll have colds. Uh mm-hmm things like that. Um, And I think with a beverage like that, um, having a lot of the point is to have something warming and, and it just has an impact on its own, but it's really amplified when you heat it up or something. Oh yeah. This seems like it'd be something that'd be delicious warmed, especially if you made it into a punch. Oh yeah. Just like something that really you feel it in your bones just Mm -hmm. warming you up oh yeah perfect after like a day on the slopes forever Mm -hmm. yeah i've had plenty of those recently yeah yeah do you have anything else that aren't in the show notes uh no i don't oh what are you brewing next ginger wine Probably the ginger wine. <laughs> That's your answer. Mine is I still need to get that hibiscus uh, rose wine. Uh, hibiscus rose mead started. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That's it yeah. from me. That's me as well. Uh, in that case, hope everybody had a happy new year. Um, and I think, well, if you've ever heard of heard of the the story of somebody uh, there's like an ancient i believe it was chinese curse may we may you live in interesting interesting times i wish to all of you that you live in a much much more boring year this year than we did last year i would agree that is i mean the um my blessing to you all absolutely and it, it is a good one. And with that, she's brewed. He is brewed. And now it's time for you to brew. Happy fermenting, happy, folks. Happy and fermenting. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of She Brews Hebrews, a Jewish fermenting podcast brought to you by myself, Evan Harris, and Allison Shea. This podcast was edited by Evan Harris and is produced by Evan Harris and Allison Shea. As always, you can find the podcast along with our show notes and full podcast transcripts uh, on our website, as well as you can find the podcast on Instagram at Jewish Fermentation Podcast. Please remember to drink responsibly, and thank you for listening.